welcome, welcome. Ah, uh, boy, is it good to be back in the shop. Sorry that we had to close up for a bit there, but we are back with the good stuff and a story or two to boot. And I'll tell you, just because you're such a loyal customer, I picked up some of these puzzle boxes while I was up north, and oh boy, what a steal. That other guy definitely did not know what he had. <laughs> well, I'll sell you one if you're interested. I mean, look at these things. Oh, what's that? Oh, of course, you're interested in the rest of the story. Well, let me see here. I think I remember. I was telling you the one about that crew from the space station, right? Of course, yes, yes. I remember now. I already told you about Gurk, Katu, and Corin, and their misadventures with the dinosaur and that absolutely wild spacesuit. Did I tell you about them going into the weird vortex and fighting that crazy, uh, thing? Yeah, yes, yes. Then they met those odd fellows, the Exonets. And last time I was telling you about meeting that main guy in the spire. He seemed important, or at least in charge. Well, did I tell you what he said to Katu? The Keys to the Universe, a Dubious Histories podcast. Season 3. Episode 17, Less Than Helpful. last left our motley crew, Corrin was conversing with the Exnet, who appears to be in charge. What do you guys remember from that conversation that's important? When you say important. <laughs> Let's do this. What's important to you as a player, and what's important to you as a character? Well... Let's do characters first. Character first, okay. Um... Corrin has been told multiple times by the Exnets that he is special and unique and a gifted linguist and that they changed their entire societal norms to make them feel welcome. Uh, additionally, while they might have the ability to send us back to where we want to be after this is all over, it would be a, quote, uh, breach of company policy. Or, again, sorry, against company policy. Uh, additionally... They only protect timelines from things outside of time. They will not actually help us in affecting a timeline itself. And he had a beautiful Afghan. I, I think that second to last point was the most important to Katu, which is they continue to be less than helpful at apprehending <laughs> Dr. Yugu. I feel like there was also something that I felt like should be particularly important to Katu. There extreme lack of security no <laughs> uh there was an observation made about katu's foot yeah that he's contracted some sort of time sickness Sheesh. and it is phasing out of existence yes. at this point oh speaking of which make a constitution check oh yeah i got you uh -oh. can't remember which one's the d20 <laughs> yeah, oh it's goodness it's uh, uh oh that's a 19. Uh, yeah, 19. 19. That's pretty <laughs> That's good. It. It's not feeling too bad right now. And maybe as phase, you know, sort of back into existence, it feels mostly normal at the moment. It's going cool. through phases. Yeah, it's going through phases. But um, 
That was a good one, Rachel. It was pretty bad, actually. I liked it. <laughs> All right, what does Girk remember from the conversation? Um, so specifically what stood out to her was that they have not dealt with Dr. Yuvu at all. So not only will they not help, they have not noticed. Um, and also the, the name Tempore is still in her head, kind of bouncing around in there because she heard them say it, even though she doesn't know what it means. Cool. Anything additionally important to you guys as players that wasn't necessarily important to the characters? Tempore, for sure. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, Maeve move. they are reassigning the timeline. Uh, it hasn't been too bad since the storm, which kind of harkens back to the end of season one, potentially. Cool. Yeah, I think that's primarily... The things. The idea of messing with timelines stresses my brain out, so. Well, they won't mess with the timelines. Uh, Alright. Um, I think maybe from a couple of episodes ago, still just remembering as a player that there are dangerous creatures like uh, temporal devourers out there, and oh, we yeah. apparently got lucky that we survived the, the baby the, one. You, the two mouther, I think, is what they mm-hmm. referred to it as. <laughs> so, back to you, Captain. Though it does, may not feel this way now, your foot is in a serious way. <laughs> Great. We have the means to heal it, but it will not be quick. I fear if you spend too much time out of the flow, it may interrupt your quest more than you would like. You can go on with your team and suffer, or you can stay here while we mend you. Though the remainder of your crew must press on. What will you do? He's asking us to split the party. I got that one. <laughs> Thanks. Um. They? He. Okay. If if timelines loop to this wait, I don't know hang on, I don't know that they loop, do I? Um I think what you saw was kind of this big like looping spirally thing. You didn't actually see the spindle when you saw it, but you saw all the loops of time. You know, if you're surmising, okay, the flow that we were in was time. You saw that kind of like looping and spiraling in on itself. Okay. If time loops to this place, would I not be able to re-enter the flow at a previous point in time to arrive here later after receiving your assistance you will find that time often repeats itself however we cannot put you back in time as you are still affected by the flow you are immortal and you must move forward through time is your treatment possible to be applied and then I go on with my team? Can 
can our medic handle the continuing treatment? Is your medic an exit? He's a cyborg. That's not quite <laughs> the same. <laughs> he is very sm- smart. I am sure he could learn your techniques. Perhaps we could teach him the techniques. So you are suggesting that you and your medic stay here and we teach him the techniques to heal you while the rest of your team continues on. Honestly, this isn't a terrible idea. That way you're not stuck by yourself. Could you just send one of your medics with us? Unfortunately, no. I don't believe we need extensive training. Is there a crash you will course? Need extensive training. <laughs> Storm, how do you feel about learning new medical techniques? Storm kind of thinks for a moment. What if Storm's voice was like super high pitched? That'd be hilarious. Um, I thought that was Taven. Because the voice did not match the body. <laughs> Taven has like, oh, I'm uh, Taven. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yep, I'm going to run in this bed with a hammer. <laughs> Storm doesn't have a voice yet. Smash he is yet to hammer. speak. Um, <laughs> I know, it's crazy, right? Um, he walks up and looks at you, looks at the eggs in it. I'm willing to learn what I need to learn. I will follow your orders. You are the captain of this team, and uh, I believe in your ability to lead. However, here you don't seem to be in danger. The rest of the team, if they go on without me, could be in danger, and we have no way of knowing what they will run into on the other side of this flow. So if you wish me to stay, I will stay. But to me, it seems that sending three on with no medic to an unknown seems more dangerous than leaving you here with these exits. I suppose that's true. Perhaps a compromise. How hard is it to become a cyborg? <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Uh, a storm smiles at that (laughs) it's less about the difficulty and more about the facilities I fear Katu looks back at the exit (laughs) do you have medical facilities to facilitate such a change we have medical facilities, but we do not have the equipment to implant cyborg parts. Your options here, as much as it would be fantastic to find a loophole, are either you stay here with us and we heal you, or you go forward with your team. A quick 
conference, if you will. Of course. Would you like to step back into the antechamber? Certainly. Kazuya wants to get <laughs> the team's opinion. Because uh, this would be... He he has a sense... I guess I should express this. Um, I do wish to be of assistance. And I do not wish to abandon this mission and send you all on without me. But I also do not wish to be a hindrance and I do not believe I am ready to cross to whatever comes next. You mean dying? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Girk looks kind of overwhelmed with that being the conclusion of what you said. Um, are you waiting for us to, to yeah. respond? Okay. He's looking for... Um, Girk kind of looks at you for a second, kind of looks at your leg, and as, like, is it visibly yeah. questionable? At yeah, this right point, now it looks all right, but you've definitely seen like less of it. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> sometimes there's like weird patches of okay stuff and missing stuff. And Girk has like a wrench in her hand at the moment, and she kind of looks at the wrench, looks at your foot. She's like, shrugs. I was like, I can, I, I can't fix that. <laughs> you, you should stay here. <laughs> what how long will it take? They did not say. <laughs> well, how long will it take? Did you guys move to the antechamber, or are you just in the... Oh, right, area? yeah, we moved to the conference. Okay, so, well, we should probably figure out how long it takes, but I suppose that's up to you, Captain. Um, you know, if it's getting better on its own, well, great. I suppose time will tell. <laughs> um... But, uh, of course, if we don't know how to cure it ourselves, it does seem a risk to continue forward with unknown consequences. Um, just for some background for you, um, you've obviously had, like, a number of poor <laughs> constitution checks on this uh, over the past, you know, number of sessions and episodes, and so... Um, it's definitely something that, like, you've noticed bothering you. Um, the exit seems to indicate that, like, it's only getting worse unless you do something about it. Um, but that's a choice that you're going to have to make. Um, Storm feels like he, you know, shared his opinion out in the room and hasn't said anything. And Taven agreed that death is not great. Not great, Captain. <laughs> I mean, I think, like, they'll put you back in the flow eventually. So, it doesn't seem like you're abandoning us forever if you stay. But also, like, you're our captain, and it's good to have you with us. So, if it's not that bad, like, you're kind of in charge. Rub some spit on it and move on. <laughs> 
I mean, she's got a wrench and I've got a hammer, so. <laughs> we can make you a real rough replacement. Hopefully you had some uncontaminated blue goo. <laughs> yeah, I didn't bring any blue goo with me. <laughs> I appreciate all of your inputs and confidence in me. I think it best if I remain behind for now. Go see how much information you can gather surrounding Dr. Yuvu's whereabouts. I will rejoin you when I can. Do not take any unnecessary risks with confronting the doctor. Well, I mean... What? How? Unnecess- unnecessary, unnecessary means what? Unnecessary, I will not restrict you from interfering with whatever he is doing, but don't get hurt yourself on account of not having backup. Alright, that's fair. So it wait, don't get hurt. That means is so is Storm staying with you or is Storm coming oh with gosh. us? Storm will be with you. Okay, so I can get a little hurt. Storm, please keep an eye on Taven. Uh, Corin put on his canvas military cap and say, "Don't worry, Captain. Their team's in good hands with me. Come on, team. Let's go find Doctor Uvu." Yuvu? I don't know, whatever. Corin, a brief word, please. <laughs> and, like, goes to a full attention salute. Girk salutes with a wrench <laughs> to make fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> As Corin's walking away to have a private word with the captain, she just goes, salutes with her wrench and then sticks her tongue out. <laughs> Corin, I appreciate your enthusiasm and willing to fulfill multiple responsibilities when needed. Just please be aware all members of this team are capable individuals. I will trust you to take reports on team activities and cohesion but please do not feel the need to micromanage or be overly involved absolutely observe and report sergeant cory on duty (laughs) thank you um i think while they're having that conversation storm turns to Girk and says so Girk what do you who do you think would be a good follow up leader if our captain is staying here Girk kind of scratches her head and it made me curious I don't really have a recommendation that's fair. <laughs> I figure the captain's going to join us up real quick, so... Corin's enthusiasm exhausts me. 
I think he kind of laughs at that, considering Space Goblin. And the fact that she lives off of coffee and energy drinks. Right. Right? <laughs> I don't understand. And more recently, apparently, coffee in energy drinks, or energy drinks coffee in coffee. Energy. I don't remember yeah. which direction that went. <laughs> All right, so I assume then Katsu and Korin walk back over. Yep. Storm says, Captain, before you go, I think it would be wise to appoint your uh, second-in-command. Leadership is important, and you've done an excellent job so far. So I believe that this should fall to you, even as you're choosing to make a sacrifice for this team that you think will benefit us in the long run. I believe in teamwork, and that all of you are capable individuals. Do you truly feel a leader is necessary I have tried to model for all of you the synergistic style of leadership where each of you has the freedom and capabilities to choose the best best path for yourselves I personally believe that yes having a leader would be valuable but if you are refusing to make that choice then I will respect your opinion Katu looks to the others as well for if they feel are we strongly this conversation? Yeah. this was like yeah, a no, you guys want to join back hey. up <laughs> Girk just shrugs <laughs> Kirk's like, I do what I do anyway. It doesn't change a darn thing for her. Probably, probably should. But uh, Corey will say, "We are a well-oiled machine, Captain. We'll get the job done." Like, I mean, he feels like he's raising his eyebrows extremely high and bobbling his head around. <laughs> If Isaac's uh, actual yeah. so, actions are any indicator. Yeah, I mean, Corey definitely, like, takes his somewhat superfluous title um, from the uh, anomaly response team. Seriously. Um, but he also is like, well, if he says we don't need a leader, I guess that's what we're doing. Um... Yeah, so and then he's like, "Yep, we're we're good." Well, I suppose uh, behind the curtain, he's like, "Well, as long as someone else isn't appointed a leader, that mean that doesn't necessarily mean I can't be a leader." I'll just have to prove my worth as a leader. Exactly. He'll uh, de facto his way in. So uh, currently, he's he's okay with the the situation as is. All right. Well, Captain, you've been a good captain. We'll see you soon. Hopefully all of you. Use democratic means to make decisions as necessary. 
Corin has been tasked with keeping logs and will report to me when I return on the decisions made and status of cohesion of this team. Bear in mind, we all report to the director. That should be enough for all of us. All right. Sounds good to me. I hate writing. Kirk, you like writing? Let's go. <laughs> she walks back into the main room. She's just like... Time's up, let's do this. This whole place, I feel like, has just made her kind of uncomfortable. It's very clean. <laughs> it's clean, it's organized. The, the nudity is... Quiet. The nudity aside, like, the people are very clean, and yeah. it's just like... She needs some layer of grime somewhere. It's, it's like a really interesting concept to think about in an area that's like outside of time where things like don't deteriorate. Yeah. Don't decompose. There I would, would also like, assume there's no, no like dust, no dust. No dirt. Like yeah. it's all very neutral and it's very like, I mean, it's, the rainbow road wasn't, but like, yeah, but like it's, it's very, that's how my Rainbow Road experience goes. <laughs> Girk is uncomfortable. Yeah. Girk wants something to fix or break or possibly both in reverse order. <laughs> right. Yeah. Nothing in this place makes her Drives feel at Kirk. home. Yeah, for sure. All right, who's the first one to go back into the main room, do you think? What does this look like? I'm just imagining, like, everybody's kind of sitting here being like, Girk will go back in. I was just, I think Katsu okay. would lead the way back in if no one else starts moving. Girk got too uncomfortable. Yeah. He goes into the other room. Yeah. Katsu next. Cora will follow. I have a bad uh, feeling about this, the way you're asking it. And Taven and Storm bring up the rear. And the main room is filled with evil graystones. Oh. Nice ah. to get your souls. I thought it was going to be something where, like, a door slams closed and we're a split party and suddenly you fell into a dungeon. I mean, we just volunteered to be a split party, so I think no, that's I kind know. of a point. It's true. Um, but, uh... So you head back in, and... TPK. Oh. What? Immediate death. Is your decision. I will remain here for your treatment. My team will pursue the mission with my... Expeditious rejoining of them. All right. Well, you better come this way. And he kind of like guides you over to another one. And they like take Katsu out through a side door. Uh, before he walks away from his team, Katsu will offer anything that he has for the mission to the team if anyone wants anything to take with them. Anything that might be of use, we can cover that over here, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody want his spear? I feel like that's kind of like the iconic Katu. I think Katu wouldn't give up the spear just because he would be afraid of undermining his own previous statement of they don't need a leader. Anyone who ends up with the spear would automatically be like, yes, I'm the leader now. I have the spear of leadership. <laughs> All right, so he hangs, hangs on to his spear. I have 
the power. But pretty much anything else on my character sheet, I can't think of anything that I would not pass off. Cool. So we'll. I would like his tactical experience. <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. Hmm. Um, but yeah, physical items we can kind of distrib- redistribute that off air. Okay. All right. Well, the rest of you, do you have any more questions for me? Oh dear, probably. Um, once we return to the stream... Yes? Well, I suppose a couple questions. One, do we need to be fished back into the stream, or can we just step in? Can we get a traveling stone? Lazuel will take you back to the flow, and you can re-enter there. Okay, and then how do we get from the flow to wherever Yuvu went? I believe that the flow, as we mentioned before, has a destination for you. You are going somewhere. So I if guess... If that is guess... where Yuvu also went, then you will find him there. It is not for us to change your destination. So I guess we just wait once we get inside? Yep. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) All right. Lazul should be waiting for you outside. So the crew, as it remains, passes out of the room into the antechamber. And is there anything that you guys want to, like, discuss now that there's the smaller team before heading back out into the flow. Oh, uh, one question. When he jumped back into the flow, will he go to the same place we're going? That is to be determined. (laughs) I believe, based on what I have seen in my many years, that you will reconnect eventually. Who can say what that looks like for sure? Uh, Can't you just be getting the final boss? <laughs> Gert, like, eyes got wide, big, like, frowner smile. Yep. Uh, Did not like that statement. Coring just telepaths to Captain Kachu. He's like, I'm beginning to think these people are less than helpful. <laughs> All right. So you pass through the antechamber, you exit the large wooden doors, backed into the hushed quiet of this place outside of time. The pale-skinned exonet who led you to the spindle of time originally is waiting for you, and as you exit, he merely nods, turns, and walks away. You follow him back around, the giant strands of streaming light along the hexagonal pathways, first down some stairs, then up some stairs, and then... Without any sort of warning, Lazul simply stops and turns to look at you, through his dark eyes, and then back to one of the strands. What do you do? Swan dive. Swan dive. Swan dive. <laughs> I'm thinking cannonball. Charles has now become a color commentator. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking cannonball, personally. So that way, then? He nods. Well, all right. Um... Make sure the uh, captain finds his way here uh, when he's done, yeah? He nods. Excellent. Onward, team! And then Corin will just 
Hop to right into the flow. Thank you, guys. You can. Nice. Gert kind of <clears throat> like takes a couple deep breaths and then just sprints, and she's like kind of yelling a little bit, <laughs> and then jumps into the stream. Hands Tom, back in Taven like is right behind you, and he's like, well, here we go. And he, like, yeah, same deal, runs, jumps in, and uh, Storm takes a glance <laughs> behind him back at the way you came, and then Don't look back. steps into the... Turns uh, into a pillar salt. Oh, wait. No. This is a different story. Cybernetic guy goes around to the back of his head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then steps into the flow as well. You enter the flow, and once again you find yourselves floating weightlessly in nothing. You begin to drift slowly at first, then quicker and quicker, though after a time it is again difficult to tell how fast you are moving, as your whole frame of reference is now within this blue, green, purple, and red light. Then... You feel cold. A breath of refrigerated air cool on your face, like when you open the fridge and peer in, hoping there's something that you want to eat in the middle of the night, knowing full well that the same things are in there as 20 minutes ago when you last looked. You smell the scent of your grandmother's couch, the first fresh mown lawn of summer, the mint that grew along the path to your walk to school, and the smell of burnt meat from the first time you tried to cook your cousin's famous dish alone. None of that is in my fridge. True. (laughs) You hear swishing and swirling, like linens brushing past each other, the same hushed sound of time passing by as around the the spindle. You see color, red and orange, purple and green and magenta and blue, illuminated light. It swirls and changes like the surf moving through the tide pool as the tide comes in, or like a stew boiling on the stove, or like the edge of a bubble, but with more depth, more thickness. And then you notice, in the midst of these swirling colors, a pixel of white light, or maybe blue. It seems impossibly bright to be noticed against a backdrop of other light. It folds and unfolds on itself, staying in one place, perhaps. It's hard to tell. It continues rotating, possibly growing in size? No, it is unfolding larger and larger, but also moving against the flow towards you. Is there anything that your characters think as you see this uh, very geometric shape um, in contrast to kind of the swirling uh, lights that you've seen so far. Girk's just stuck on the fact that this feels a lot like an, the opposite of a dead pixel. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's the first thing that popped into my head and it makes sense. Yeah. I think at this point, Corin just kind of like, well... We don't really know what to expect, so I guess whatever we run into is exactly what we're supposed to be running into. Sure. Like, here we go. (laughs) The pixel unfolds larger and larger, blue and white squares of light, tiny and huge at the same time. You realize you will pass directly through its center if you don't do anything. You move faster and faster towards the center. Corin, anticipating excitedly the next step. Girk somewhat confused and uncertain about your time at the spindle. As you approach, you get closer and closer until you suddenly touch the folding light and immediately you all black out. Great. (laughs) (laughs) And immediately. Rolling up with that minutes.
Hey, yo, friendos. Welcome back to DHHQ. It's me, Alex, your friendly neighborhood GM. This is the part of the show where I do a beautiful routine on the balance beam. Flips and spins and kicks and all that good stuff. What could go wrong? Oh, wait, no. This is the part of the show where I come out and tell you stuff. Stuff like Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year, Happy Late Birthday if you're Rachel, whatever you celebrate this time of year, we hope it's been a good one of those. Also, stuff like Thanks for Letting Us Take a Break, a little peek behind the curtain. We haven't been publishing, but we have been recording, so we do have some content in the pipeline for you. We've been having so much fun recording the stuff on the other side of this vortex, which I won't spoil, but will say has been a blast. The break was really needed for us, though, and I think we're all back with a little bit more joy. And if I do say myself, so myself, even a little bit more goofiness. It's amazing what a little bit of rest can do for you. So truly thank you, as it was really needed for us. Also, it was honestly a great reminder for me that rest is important for us as human beings. So if you've been needing some rest yourself, then this is some permission for me to take some. That being said, oh my gosh, I am so excited to get back into it. This season has been a blast and so much fun to record, and I'm just really excited to get it out to you. Based on how things have panned out, we have a little bit of what you might call an, let's say, intermission between Acts 2 and 3 of this season. Obviously, we're telling the story of this crew in space and all that business, but we're also telling a bigger story about these artifacts, so we thought it might be fun to check back in with some of our other favorite characters from previous seasons and see what they're up to. Of course, with all of time at our fingertips, who knows who might show up? That would be kind of a soft re-entry into our uh, season, and then we'll get back into the thick of it with season three. We love hearing from you guys, so as always, drop us a line over on the good, good social media or by emailing us at dubioushistories at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of season three, or if there's specific characters that you want us to check in on in the meantime, send us your favorites. Remember, you're awesome, and we like you a lot. Thanks for listening to the show, and for all the ways that you support us. And that's all I've got for the mid-break, so now back to some action. Our scene opens on a fluffy brown Tuflu chatting with a lean, pale humanoid who stands at an ancient wooden podium wrapped in a colorful afghan. The conversation has progressed to somewhere between unproductive and circular. The view pans over to a large minotaur who's making his way to the side of the room, interested in the incredible magical aura emanating from the strands of blue, green, red, and purple light streaming through holes in the floor. The strands run upward and remingle towards the ceiling of the solemn stone chamber, knitting themselves together in intricate patterns before flowing out again from the room. Taven walks up to one of the other exonets who sits at a desk near a particularly green stream, peering intently into it. The exonet lifts two midnight-filled eyes up at the approaching minotaur, but then simply just returns his gaze to the green light. Taven walks up next to him, looks down momentarily, and then follows the exonet's gaze into the green light. Whoa! Our view pans over Taven's shoulder and for a moment is completely filled with the green light, but then, within the green light, we begin to see forms, emerald and olive at first, and murky, but then clearer and clearer. Blue and yellow enter the frame, and then purple and orange, and suddenly, we see a port. Ships bob on the pier, Uh, the sun is shining down bright light, reflected in the rippling waves of the bay. The port opens to a cobblestone common area, prominently featuring a well at the center. Off to the left, a purple tent is set up where dense smoke swirls out from the opening and a stairway leads up to a prominent acropolis. Our view, however, pans to the right, where we see a plain-looking wooden building. We move to an open window of the wooden building, where plain linen curtains sway gently in the sea breeze and hear a gull crow softly somewhere on the roof. Inside, we see a large wooden desk, sparsely populated save for a few pieces of parchment, an inkwell, a key ring, and a parcel of brown paper tied with twine. Behind the desk sits a lizard man, in the uniform emblazoned with the insignia of Orana, a golden sun rising over the silhouetted acropolis on a golden field. 
Somewhere in the distance, the clock tower from the newly opened college sounds twelve deep chimes, and Sarath promptly stands up, grabbing the keys and the parcel from off the desk. He walks to the back of the room, where we see a row of cells, and he approaches one with a large dark shape sitting in the corner. Despite the creature's sitting posture, its enormous size still takes up most of the cell. Well, Sarath says, you've served your time well and haven't given me any trouble, and for that I thank you. I trust that you understand why this happened, and we won't be seeing you again anytime soon? Of course, officer. I've been thinking about what might be a better line of work for me, and I think that my skills would probably be more useful down on the docks, but maybe the warehouses. But honestly, the dark shape stands up in the cell, and we can see that it has to, still has to remain hunched over. I'm just glad to get out of this cramped cell and stretch a bit. Ah, yes. Well... I'm glad to hear that you have a plan to, in place to become a more productive citizen. Perhaps that Pippo fellow who visited you has helped you to make some sense of your purpose here. With all his talk of Daggermouth, was it? <laughs> yes, Daggermouth. To be honest, officer, I don't know how much I am of one for religion, and I can't imagine that Daggermouth would even want me with everything I've done. Hmm, perhaps. Well, now you have a chance to do some things that might help you paint yourself in a more positive light. You can always make a choice to be better than you were before, but without further ado, Sarath stands up straight and inserts the key into the lock. By the power vested in me by the port of Orana to serve its inhabitants, protect its peace, and serve its justice, I, Officer Sarath, hereby declare that the Ogress Grunzina has officially and dutifully served the time of her sentence and is hereby free to operate within the port. May the Lady of Justice shine her light upon you, your effects. The officer hands the ogre the parcel as she leaves the cell, an enormous grin on her face. She walks out into the sunshine, takes a deep breath, and turns back to the officer. She rather overanimatedly stands up straight, gives the lizard man an overdramatic salute, and turns and walks into the town. As she passes by, the scene changes, and instead of Grunzina walking through the port, we see her stepping through the doorway of a rather rough-and-tumble establishment. Her body squeezes through the door, and we can see a sign hanging above it, the head of a dragon hanging upside down with X's painted crudely over the eyes. In an instant, the merrymaking stops, and all the eyes turn toward the entering ogres. There's a brief pause, then someone from the back of the bar yells, Grunzina! And the music and chatter start back up again. She makes her way to the bar, sitting next to a fellow who appears to be made of rocks and orders a drink. She takes a large swig and turns to the creature next to her. Gorb, you work at the warehouses, right? I think they might have an opening up there. He starts to turn, slowly, towards Grunzina, and he continues turning. And he continues turning. I don't know, but I can ask around. Uh, thanks. Let me know what you find out. Okay, comes the answer from Gorb. I will do that when... I find out. Thanks, Corb. Oh, Grunzina. The bartender walks back over with a black envelope in his hand. This was left here during the lunch rush. I figured I would deliver it to you, but since you're here now, that kind of saves me an errand. Kind of weird coincidence, but anyways, here you go. Thanks, Grunzina answers quizzically. But as soon as she takes the envelope, we see that her demeanor has become much more serious. In a looping silver script, Grunzina is written across the front of the envelope. Her large green fingers turn the envelope over, open the flap, and pull out an equally dark card with nothing on it save a date and a time in the same silver script. 
Great, she says. Not even one day. He couldn't even give me one day. She throws the card back onto the counter, downs her ale, and as we fade back into a luminous green light, we hear, Hey, bartender, I'm going to need another. This has been the Keys to the Universe, a Dubious Histories podcast.